Welcome back, everyone. After a week's hiatus, once again, to the OGs on the outside game. I'm Don Povia with Kyle Bunch. We're joined this week by guest Eddie Mycinet, Professor Mycinet. Good to see you. HBCU proud. How are you, man? Langston University, right? Indeed. Langston University in the building. One time to Thomas Hollywood Henderson. Uh, and, you know, it's like 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 him, you know, it's, man, we're speeding. We're speedballing through all of this, man. It's NBA playoffs right now. Class just finished up. I got people begging me for grades. Like life is life is running hot at the moment. So things are good. Yeah, I mentioned the professor. I mean, we know Ed uh, doing stuff with us and attending even before he was on panels uh, with the Sports Fan Journal, the founder of that. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Some uh, some old yard barker connections here. <laughs> um, but yeah, the professor, he is uh, teaching sports management, correct, at the University of San Francisco, the Dons, where I believe you got your master's from as well. So, um, you know, we've talked to a lot of people that have transitioned throughout their careers, but I think you're the first one that's jumped into academia. So how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I graduated from the program in 2016. And, you know, even going through the program, you know, I was deemed an old man, probably because of all this gray in my face. Uh, but, you know, like I came through that program when I was 30, graduated the program at 32. And a couple of things that I noticed even when I was in the program is that, you know, a lot of the people in the program and, you know, USF has done a great job. They're now a top 10 program for sport management. Um, they've done a lot of collaborations with like the Warriors and Steve Kerr in particular and with the WNBA. But the one of the things that I noticed is that they they had a lot of they have a lot of students that are in that 22 to 27 year old range. And the industry that they were catering to, in my opinion, I did not think was serving like the total sports opportunity, in particular, really focusing on the media side where there was a big focus on business um, game operations, working with um, uh, university and, and the athletic departments and things like that. There's big business and there's big opportunity here within social media, within digital media, within branding, within the agency space, like transition, one time to transition. Um, you know, like there's opportunity there. And I knew when I got out the program, I wanted to hammer home the fact like you guys need to be investing more into the digital media space. And so uh, I mean, maybe two years after the fact, they asked me to speak about it to some cl- to some classes, and then in the in 2019, they asked me to pitch a class, um, and they asked me to pitch a class because I said you guys need to be teaching this class when I was during in my panel, and they were like, oh well, after the class, why don't you pitch it, and you know maybe we'll see if the students vote on it. So after some voting, they voted on the class and. I was able to teach my first class this year and that's how I got in. Um, And, you know, they gave me 15 students. It was the, it's funny. Like they gave me the last class of the entire like year for like 80% of the kids because it was an elective class. And I was so proud of the fact that it was 15 kids. uh, Seven of them were women. All of them were either of black, Asian or Hispanic descent. And they all were really invested in thinking about, you know, on-demand opportunities, thinking about app development, thinking about becoming influencers in the social media space or um, wanting to work in a broadcast or an agency space. And I said, I think I said it to you, I was like, man, you need to be trying to hire some of my students because um, I think they're really going to be game changers. And, and and Kyle and Don to be just totally frank, man, I just taught that last class on Wednesday. 
they wore me the hell out. Like I'm tired. Like <laughs> they wore me out because I, I, it was, I didn't, it was my first time. Like it was on my to-do list. My wife's all about vision boards and she put that on the vision board for me. And I was, I, cause I had been talking about it and it was a really gratifying experience. Um, you know, and you, you realize when you start to teach these things and you have to put it into practice and make it um, understandable, you, you also then have a big, better understanding of the material yourself. And so, you know, I think it really helped me to start to visualize kind of where I want to go next with my career, both that ESPN and maybe teaching um, and maybe where even other opportunities in sports media are as we go forward. Uh, it's California. I'm assuming you were all remote this year. Does that make it more difficult, you think, or easier? You know what? I, I My dream scenario was always, yeah, I'm going to teach in a classroom. I'm going to own this class. I'm going to come in. I had already visualized all this. Like I was going to have... Of your sweaters, like your cardigan with like the patches on the elbows and stuff like that. See, okay. I had thought about that too. And my wife made fun of me because I remember I was like, I don't even know, should I get dressed up for the Zoom? What should I wear? And first class, I put on a button up, had a you know college shirt and everything. And I did not feel comfortable on a Zoom in a college shirt. I don't know. I I, I mean, I've, I've been meetings with ESPN folks all the time. Don't wear a college shirt. I wear a hoodie. I wear a T-shirt. So I think after in, in the third class, I said, no, I'm about to be, you know, I think I'll change my my Twitter handle to um, the hoodie professor or something. I came in with a hoodie and a, and a fitted and and I just felt so much better and it was great. And so um, all the classes were remote. Um, I think they will be going forward into classrooms either this fall or the following spring. And then I can get my ultimate scenario of having my Spotify playlist with like future and outcasts and like all the Pharrell instrumentals playing when the kids walk in. So I can just jar them uh, with like, what the hell did I just step into and on this Jesuit uh, campus and um, we'll see how it goes from there. Well, you can have a better mascot. I'll say that. The Don, the Don mascot is pretty fire. The Dons. Dons, I mean, like it's, you know, you forget. And it's so funny. Like, yeah, people don't like I one thing when I went to the USF campus, one of the first things I was immediately infuriated by is like, where's the Bill Russell statue? And there's not one. And it's like wild. There's not fine. There's not even a Bill Cartwright statue. Like I would have been fine with a Bill Cartwright statue, like totally acceptable. Um, I, I know, need like a garden of bills, I think, of just like yeah. statues of, of yeah. illustrious. You know, that's a great place to start. You've got two solid seven foot plus statues. <laughs> Why not? Really big. Yeah. They probably will provide plenty, plenty of shade for the students when it's hot outside. It'll be fine. Um, but, you know, like it's, it's the University of San Francisco is such a, a serene place given where it lives in the chaos of the city of San Francisco and you get there and everybody's just really nice and everybody's super sweet and and like you would just not realize like there was like a titan of basketball that used to play here and I think and and they've always had a bit of a frayed relationship as far as that's concerned and you know there's still a lot of push to make that make that right but um uh yeah like it's been it's been great they need to send me more Don's paraphernalia um they have a good Nike deal so Send me more Nike Don's paraphernalia at once. Post. Oh, you can work on that, right? Yeah. Still got those connections over there. <laughs> uh, my my Nike juice is is way down. You might need to talk to uh you know uh, one of the kids online. That's uh 
the selling, <laughs> reselling. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, Eddie, you weren't uh, necessarily going professionally towards the sports journalism space, where you? I mean, I'm looking at your, uh, you know, your your degree in organizational management, which seems to apply to everything. But you know, you spent spent first couple of years in some corporate jobs. How did uh, you know? How did the sports side really start to kick off for you? Yeah, let me talk about building authority in my class the first day of class. Yeah, I told them like, hey, yeah, for the first nine or 10 years of my career, like I was a corporate square. I was really focused. I got my degree in business from Langston and I didn't, you know, I, I, you know what I realized? I realized that in our 20s, we're all trash. And like, you don't really become less trash until you're like 30s. Cause like my 20s, I just, I started in finance and then I worked in the client consultation and analytics from, uh, Wells Fargo, General Mills, Nielsen. Like I, I had good jobs. I was making good money. I was going, I was living the life of a mid 20 year old professional, like trying to go to Vegas and Miami and Atlanta and, you know, spend way too much money in the club and like trying to travel and like do, you know, things that young 20 year old men do. Um, but two things happened. One, um, when I was, when I was leaving, General Mills, um, I had an offer to go to Nielsen and I had like four months off. Um, and I was just like, I'm gonna take some time, I'm gonna be good. And so that's when I started a blog at the sports fan. I started as a sports fan at um when I was in between work. And then when I started blogging and I started blogging at work. Sorry, Nielsen. Like if there are anybody from there's anybody from Nielsen working here, I'm sorry. But I was definitely working. I'd get to the office at seven in the morning. And I would blog for like two hours, take a walk to go get some coffee and then like do my day job. And I was doing that every day for like three to five, three to four years. And but that's how Ed the Sports Fan grew. That's how I built my like online brand name, I guess. Like I don't have a brand, but like that's my online presence. And that manifested into the sports fan journal that manifested into like freelance writing opportunities with slam magazine, uh, Yahoo sports, bleacher, you know, uh, true who folks like that. And I think eventually that's in how I ended up even making real relationships with like Nike and, uh, uh new era and Adidas when Nike, cause to me, like influencer marketing really, to me started with Nike, as far as my experience with it, when, I, I mean, I remember to this day, Don, Kyle, I remember I got this email at 9.32 in the morning and I had just got done writing some manifesto about Blake Griffin dunking on Kendrick Perkins again. I don't know. And I got this email from Cindy Hamilton from Nike and she's like, hey, we saw that you're like this award winning blogger. We really like what you've been producing and we'd like you to come to New York for this Nike World Basketball Festival. And I'm reading it. And I'm like, somebody is sending me scam. Like, this is spam, scam, something. I, I, I emailed my my future best man at my wedding. I was like, did you send this to me? And he's like, nah, bro, I don't know what you're talking about. And so I get on LinkedIn and I look this person up. And like, oh, she works at Nike for real. Okay. Shout out to Cindy Hamilton, by the way, one of the nicest humans ever. And she's like, hey, uh, can you come to New York? Uh, can, we need you to be out here like next next Wednesday. And I'm like, that's nine days from now. And I go to my manager and my manager knew I was into this blogging thing. He totally supported it because I was good at my job. And he was like, are they going to get you some free shoes? And I was like, I don't know. I ain't got that far yet. And so 
I get the email. They're like, hey, okay, we're going to put you in the standard hotel. Nicest hotel I've been in my life at that point. What shoe size do you wear? What short size? All these things. I'm like, this has got to be a joke. I give it to them. And then nine days later, my life changed. Like Nike showed me that we were hanging out with Yee John Lon and Kevin Durant. And we went to Rucker and we went to uh, Madison Square Garden and uh, Kenny Smith was hosting it. And they showed their entire Nike collection for the upcoming year. And then they said, hey, we need you to come back in a month for the actual festival. See, that's how swaggy Nike was. They were like, we're going to bring you here to show you what it's about to be. And then we're going to have you come back in six weeks to show you what it actually is. And then that's when we saw Michael Jordan at Rucker Park. We saw I saw grown men cry when they saw Michael Jordan at Rucker Park. Um, I saw Kobe Bryant come out there to Rucker Park and like uh, I saw two white women faint. And that was amazing because I was not expecting that. That was pretty cool. Um, and then, like, they just had this, like, Jumpman lounge session. And, like, Chris Paul, Dwayne, Dwayne Wade was on Jordan at the time. And Carmelo, they were just sitting there. Carmelo had, was, like, just carrying a cigar. Like, all I'm like, what are you doing? Like, he's just carrying a cigar around the whole time. And they were just like, yo, what's up? Like, why, how are y'all here? Why are y'all here? They asking us questions. I'm like, this is crazy. And I think ever since that point, that was the light bulb when I said, I think that this could be like the thing that I actually do. And, you know, then we built the sports fan journal around that time. We just sold the sports fan journal last year. Um, and uh, then we started bringing on writers, started bringing on editors. And it's, and it's funny, like the alumni that we have, you guys have me on this podcast, OGs, and it's about celebrating the alumni of, you know, blogs with balls. And, it, and it, it's so fire, such a dope concept. And you start to realize, like, when you build community and you build network, you don't even realize, like, the the amount of people you're influencing and the amount of people that you are. And you don't, it's not even to necessarily take credit in their development, but you can see their rise. And so the fact that, you know, we can we can say that, hey, Justin Tinsley at the Undefeated is one of our guys. Logan Murdoch at the Ringer is one of our guys. Alex Wong at GQ and Yahoo Sports is one of our guys. Paulo Getty at the Ringer is one of our guys. Like, and we can just keep going. Like, that's just off the top of my head. Uh, having that type of alumni and that type of um, in, impact makes it all worth it. And um, now, so to me, like, part of me teaching now is just a level up from that. It's just like, hey, like, what did Jay-Z said? Hove did that. So hopefully you don't have to go through that. Like, let me tell you all the things I did to go through the fire. And then let me save you some time and energy so you don't have to do the same things. Because I'm 37 now and I've bumped my head so many times and, and like bumbled my way through so much of this. Like so much of this is just luck and happenstance, even to like the point that I'm at now. And just so many people took a chance on me and, uh, you know, just opened the door for me. Like I'm forever appreciative of those things. So. I'm curious about having gone the one way, you know, like what you just described, building this sort of business over years and community, like all the things that go with that of kind of building a modern sort of creator business, then going into teaching. And obviously it's still newer, but you know, how might you, have you given any thought to if you were to start another business today, like, and, and, and like how you, how the education component comes in. Cause it does strike me that that element of like being able to develop talent. I mean, I look at, I'm still working on the advertising side of the company with 1700 people, but like 
so much of our success and my success has been the extent to which we did or didn't nurture the talent that, that was coming up. Like how, how do you think about what you're seeing academic wise and how that influences might influence your corporate approach in the future? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, we have, you know, one of the things I have to encourage the students is like, Hey man, like y'all need to get to do to, to failing fail more, uh, fail quickly like, so you can learn and iterate and move forward. But there's, you know, you know, students, I have, I struggle to call, not call them kids. Cause I don't know, like, I feel like when you're a teacher, you have kids that you teach and they're not, they're like adults. Um, but when I have the students in the class, they don't even realize how entrepreneurial they are, but there's also like a real hesitation to like take a leap. And part of that is because just looking, you know, look at us, like we come, we're of a different, we are actually of a different generation now. And, um, you know, the, the cost of living, like being in, like my students are based in San Francisco and LA and I've never had to ask. I know the answer I can see in their zooms. Like this is the one of the things about the zooms. I'm like, people are inherently nosy. I can see, I see this random animal on the back of Don's uh, wall I don't know if that's a, 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 I don't know what that is, but it looks rather cool. I see all the fire artwork in Kyle's thing. Like I could see in this house and I could see in my students' houses, I can see like, oh, they have roommates. Oh, they live with their mama. Right. You know, like I, 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 it was rarely like, I think about how many of my students like lived alone, like lived, had their own place. Right. And I, I don't call that out in a negative way. I call it out to tell to say, like, I, one of the things I told them is like, you guys are actually, you guys signed up to be in a graduate program and this is not what you signed up for. You didn't sign up to be taking, you know, two thirds of all your classes on a Zoom. Um, and that inability to have community and ability to really engage, I think is really like one of the things that I sought out in the program and it's one thing that really hindered them in, in some ways. But as a result, you know, you owe it to your your mama and your friends and like the people that are sacrificing so that you can thrive. You owe it to them to take a big swing, to 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 take a big leap and use these tools that people have created. Like I think about just creating the Sports Fan Journal, creating a blog, creating a website in 2008 when I started the Sports Fan or 2011 when we started Sports Fan Journal. I would never do it like that again. I spent like $4,000 on a website in 2011. I'm like, what, what the hell was I thinking? Four grand? Um, this is ridiculous. Like, um, In the meantime, know. we were all on like Blogger and WordPress.com and like yeah. all those like free little softwares. But hey, you sold yours and mine just faded to oblivion. Well, well, to be clear, like I started on Blogger and I had something on WordPress and then I was like, I need something that feels fresh. And, and again, it, I didn't say it wasn't a good idea, but like, the, the thought of creating and de- developing websites and apps, like the amount of tools that we have available to us now and the ways in which people have finessed new ways to make money and to create audience and uh, things like that, you know, um, it's boundless. And so for them, they, and they know more about these things even than I do. And I'm the professor. Like, they're like, oh, man, there's this new app. And I don't know. Have you heard about this? Oh, man, there's new people doing these things. And I'm like, yo, put, put me on game. Like, tell me about it so I can learn. And so I think that's really the cool thing about teaching is that you get that um, back and forth uh, with, 
with uh, the students so that, you know, they will they will put you to game, put you up on game as much as anybody else. And so, Kyle, I want to make sure I answer your question. I, I think that. And some of it, too, helps me because I've been at ESPN now for three going on three years. I can balance my entrepreneurial side and also seeing how the biggest media entity decides to do it. And there's key learnings to take from both. And so when I'm talking to um, um, when I'm talking to the students, I'm like, hey, if you're trying to get a job, like here's the ways in which you need to go, um, go for it. And if you're going to try to spark it on your own, here are the other ways you need to do it. And guess what? Those opportunities can eventually intersect, right? Because I became very attractive to ESPN because I had all that entrepreneurial experience on the back end. And, um, and yet at the same time, the experience that I'm getting now working at ESPN in my mid thirties has been large. Uh, it's been large in, in, in where I'm going now. And, and now I actually feel like I'm on a bigger track to be, you know, one of the things we talk about at ESPN is like, we need more editorial leadership. And, you know, I feel like I'm on that path to becoming an editorial leader within the company. Um, and Hey, I just got a promotion like a couple of weeks ago. So like celebrate me, like I appreciate it, you know? So, um, that all is a part of development. It's like, you got to have some experiences. You got to go fail. And I told the, I told the kids in my first, the very first class, man, some of y'all look like y'all ain't been in love yet. Some of y'all need to get, get fired. Some of y'all need to like go broke. Like I'm not encouraging you to do these things, but you haven't stretched yourself and you, Don and Kyle, y'all both know, like, you don't really know who you are and what you're trying to do until you really stretch yourself, break things, and and, and then try to put it back together and make it better. Yeah, for sure. You know, I was going to bring up ESPN, um, but, you know, thanks for hitting that. So you, you have that lessons and, and you're living it. Uh, I agree with sort of, you know, me being you know, on my own, most of my professional career, but, you know, having those stops at various types of agencies, like I can't replicate the value. Right. And I don't think I recognized the value when I was in it until looking back and seeing that, but you also made some stops along the way at some plucky startups and some big companies mm -hmm. in themselves. So, I mean, I mentioned yard barker, which, you know, got, got bought by Fox. And I know you were kind of the sort of linchpin between the two there, Fox sports, obviously, you know, a, a huge media outlet. You mentioned slam. I feel like, like that's like the breeding ground for just about everyone that we'll talk to at some point, or at least 75% of the guests, you know, uh, SB nation. So, you know, what were some of the lessons say from the yard barker SB nations, those more digital native types that, um, you know, were probably a little more polished, no offense than, you know, the sports fan, uh, but maybe not as polished right now, what you're doing with the NBA and, and ESPN. Yeah, sure. I mean, well, first thing is, well, it, it starts at its levels. Uh, you know, Slam was the magazine I read growing up. And when I first decided, like, maybe I would like to write for someone else, uh, you know, I think I um, sent I, I this is how stupid I was back. Then. I think I was I was doing my own like we had like 200 readers um, on Ed the Sports Fan and we were doing a fantasy uh a March Madness bracket challenge. That's what it was. And I, my bright idea was I'm going to hit up slam and be like, Hey, I just want to see if I can get a winner, uh, the winner of my bracket challenge, a one year subscription sponsored by slam magazine. 
I don't know. I, this was my 23, 24-year-old sensibilities. And I just thought Slam would be like, hey, man, that sounds like a good idea. No problem. Well, Ryan, shout out to Ryan Nelson, um, uh, one of the greats. And Ryan Nelson hits me back and was like, and just really kind. He was like, hey, man, like, really appreciate you reaching out. It was really um, sweet. You guys, you guys thought of us. Unfortunately, we don't give away any subscriptions at all whatsoever. Um, but uh, I've been reading a lot of stuff on your site. And, you know, if you ever want to pitch anything at Slam, you know, we'd love to be able to hear your pitches. And I was like, man, I don't give a damn about those 200 uh, uh, supporters in our tournament. You, what are you talking about? You've been reading my stuff. Like, and you, and you liked it? Like, I had no idea. And so that went to pitching Slam and then being able to write for Slam. And that turned into, that was the first time I ever got paid for my writing. That was when I, when I got in the magazine or Slam magazine. I still have, I have those magazines on my bookshelf right in front of me. And, um, you know, and then I think I got the bug. Because then it was like, that was the first time I realized, like, yo, I could actually make money off of doing some of this. You know, then I went to SB Nation and started being able to get some money with Spencer Hall and Jason Kirk and, and, and Mike Prada, Tom Ziller and those guys. Um, and, you know, started blogging for them. And I mean, there was a point. And then I, then I was working for SB Nation. I was working again. Anybody that works for Nielsen, I'm sorry. I was working like 20 hours a week with SB Nation and I was doing full-time work at Nielsen. And I'm pretty sure I messed up my taxes doing all this, which still pains me to this day, but whatever. And and so I started doing stuff at SB Nation and then Fox Deportes came along. And then, and then we built up the Sports Fan Journal and Yard Barker reached out and they, you know, then they had those modules and ads and kids, if you don't know, then, you know, when you see those little ads in the corner, you know, you can either get them yourself from places like Google or you can work with an ad network like Yard Barker, Fox Sports Digital, and they'd give you this better rate. And that's what we did. And so let me speed up a little bit. So the way I broke into Yard Barker was is I was really upset with them because they were giving top um, top rank to blogs that I thought weren't better than mine. To, just to be honest, like I was like, hey, man, like these blogs are kind of trash, like um you know, you guys are going for smut and rumor mill and shenanigans and tomfoolery. And yet I got Justin Tinsley putting up 2000 words on, you know, why Iverson demands more respect and has got reporting in here from, you know, George Lynch and Othella Harrington and John Thompson, the third. And I'm just like, and you don't care about it. Like what's going on. And that led into a, a couple of different conversations. And all of a sudden it was, they were like, would you like to, work with us part-time and i was like oh uh sure cool and so i started working for them kind of on the side i was helping with their newsletter and i was putting everything sports fan journal number one then they take it down which is fine and <laughs> uh but uh and and at this time i was i was kind of getting ready to be out on nielsen and i i, I had actually quit my job and i, I had started valeting cars <laughs> I started valeting cars and I was covering the Warriors uh, for SB Nation NBA and I was doing stuff with Yard Barker. And then my guy at Google called and was like, hey, I'm familiar with your experience. He's one of my frat brothers and he calls me. He's like, I can get you in right now. And I was looking at my valet money and all that other stuff. I was like, man, like, yeah, let me go get some of this Google money. And so I did Google money for like a year, a little bit over a year. And I, 
I, that's when I became aware of sport, uh, University of San Francisco and their program. I was like, man, like, I think I'm kind of ready to maybe go back to school. I was still, my writing and stuff was still going strong and Yardbarker was asking me to do more. And so I did the dumbest thing anybody could do. I went to Yardbarker. I went to my boy, Mike, who was my manager at the time and, and, and still a great dude. And I went to Jeff Kloster and I was like, hey, it, I am considering quitting. Um, if you could pay me this much, would y'all bring me on? Like, Because they were basically trying to get me to work full time already. I was like, no, no, no. And I was like, look, this is the number that it would take for me to be a full time employee. And it wasn't like it was like contract. It wasn't like benefits or anything. It was just like, give me this much an hour, which also meant like, I don't know, like cutting a third of my salary from when I was at Google. And I, they were like, we'll get back to you. And then they were like, we could do it. And then I, I quit Google. I went into the cafe, the Google cafeteria, and I made the biggest pork belly. I got pork belly and uh, these fire scrambled eggs that one of their chefs make. Cause I don't know if y'all know, like the Google cafeteria food is like legendary. And so I made like, I got like 12 pork bellies off their thing. It was for breakfast, but they had pork belly for breakfast and got the eggs and potatoes. And I, and I just, I ate, I couldn't even eat all of it. And then I got on the last bus that there's, there's a, there's a it's called um, homeroom. And there's one of the newer cafeterias they built. And all they do is make brunch food. And I think I got like chicken and waffles and like, I had like, I got like, had one of them like big carafes, not carafes, but like um, travel mugs. And it's got like 32 ounces of orange juice. And like, I got like two bushels of grapes and I got on a Google bus and I was like, I'm out. And, and then I, then I was really, then I was making a lot less money after that. And my girlfriend was at the time was like, I'm really proud of you. And I was like, I don't have to marry her. So y'all just saw her walk back in the zoom. So married, expecting first kid in about four months, really excited about that. And that was kind of my transition into working full-time in sport media and that, and yard barker really gave me that in at the time. And the thing that I tell the students and a lot of people still trying to get in the game is you never really know what your in is, but if you're not in at all, it doesn't matter. Like you got to get in, you got to get in somewhere. You got to get your name up. You got to build your credibility. And I'll forever be grateful to Yardbarker. Shout out to Jeff. Shout out to uh, Pell and Will and those guys. Like they gave me every opportunity to fail and learn and uh, develop myself to be able to work in front of the camera, behind the camera, to edit, um, to do everything that is in running a, a business in that way. And uh, so, you know, shout out to Yardbarker for giving me that opportunity 100%. Talk about getting your in today versus back then. I just think reflecting on when we, I mean, all of us were kind of starting out there writing blogs with a hell of a lot less competition. Like I was writing about USC football. There were like three options. If you wanted to read mm -hmm. about USC football that were, weren't just standard issue mm -hmm. coverage. I mean, how do you think about it today? Talking to students, thinking about, you know, like younger generation of, you know, endless ends, do any of them, more dead ends than ever, you know, how, yeah. how do you, you know, how do you think about that shift or, you know, is it, do you find the optimism in it? I, I can't help, but feel like I'd be incredibly pessimistic looking at it being young, trying to break through today. Well, yeah, I, it's, I, I tell him, I told him in one of the classes, like, look, man, you work, you work in the absolute worst industry when it comes to trying to break through because you, you work in the, 
you you have to pay the cool tax. You have to pay the cool tax. Like you you are trying to work at a job or work in an industry where people will do that job willingly for a lot less than what you would probably like to make doing the job. One, you have people that will use nepotism and cronyism and other ways and means to get people into these jobs that are less qualified than you and will do it willingly and like brazenly and like with no checks. And also um, people will ask you to work. I mean, forget 40 hours. Like, I mean, people will ask you to work crazy hours. People will ask you to work, you know, the not great times of the day, nights, weekends and the like. Um, and yet you are here in this class spending $50,000 for this two year program to hopefully elevate yourself. Like it is in some ways it is a, it is a, the biggest, biggest shenanigan of all time. But at the same time, to me, the opportunity is in the fact that there have never been more opportunities to find ways to break through. And I think even thinking about our, you know, I'd call our era the blog era, right? Like, you know, they say, you know, in basketball, it's like, you know, you know, everything that happened before the 24 second shot clock doesn't really matter, right? To me, the internet, nothing matters before like the blog era. And that that is reflective of music, sports, um, and uh, the ways in which we look at tech and, and, and content. But like, we came up with a blog era and the blog era gave us a real er- opportunity to learn how to I mean, you think about all the things we actually got a chance to learn. We learned how to code. We learned how to edit. We learned how to do social media. We learned how to do uh, PR. We learned how to collaborate. Um, like these, these, and these were all things that if you had no formal education, like you could do all of these things and still find a real way to shine. And I think similarly now, you know, we're in this era where the tech is even more advanced. The ability to connect is even more advanced. The ability to create audience is even more advanced. And the ability to own niche audience network and opportunity has been, has never been more profound. So, you know, I got a student right now. She really wants to, um, I don't want to give up all of her business model, but her thing is, look, like I think I could do a better job of selling the betting industry to, to, to WNBA and women's sports. And I'm like, nobody is doing that. Nobody's doing it well. Um, and one so under my way, I got a lot of women that are yeah, you know, female athletes that are looking and betting. Believe me, yeah. so, seriously, send her my way. <laughs> and I will. And, and and the thing is, is that you know, um, the people who know how to make money on the betting industry know how to do those things, and they'll pay for people who can be influential in the space, uh, for people who can who understand the space. Um, and, but the the thing is, is it's not that different than the blog era in the sense of you got to kind of grind and, and show you show you could do it but probably on your own platform. Like you're probably not going to get the opportunity to work for a team or the league immediately. You might have to go on medium and go on a one year run of like blogging and writing and doing storytelling on why you're, you're, you're the subject matter you care about really matters. And like, that might not seem like the, you know, you might not make any money from it, but being able to show that you are an expert or, or an enthusiast or a high level thinker on a piece of subject matter, like that goes further on somebody's resume or portfolio than, Hey, you know, I worked three months and, you know, like a, a lot of universities with their sport managers, they send a lot of people like game operations 
And like, I, I don't want to be careful. Like I'm not knocking my program or anybody's program when I say this, but like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't want to go to a ma- go to somebody's master's program and spend all this money to then be passing out the, uh, you know, the clappers at the Clippers game. Like, you know, like there is, there are things you can learn from that experience. Don't get me wrong. And there's more to game operations than that. So I'm not knocking game operations in that way. Uh, but I just think that there are more ways in which you can actually show what you are and what you're capable of, but you have to be very willing to take ownership of the tech and the resources around you. And for most of the kids, they are willing to do that um, or they just need a nudge in the right direction. It, it strikes me too that, I mean, not that we weren't, we talked, we, we've invoked sight meter uh, on this, on this <laughs> conversation podcast many a time, you know, as the, the, if you, if you're of the blog area, you know, mm-hmm. what we're talking about that little, that little icon at the bottom of every site that you'd anxiously refresh. Mm-hmm. And, but, but, you know, I think a lot of what we were doing, it didn't, I, it, it, it didn't matter as much. It felt like back then it was just the fact that you were doing it and had any little bit of traction was enough where mm-hmm. I think now maybe what part of what I, I feel like is different is all those, so many more platforms and, Oh, your things, video, your things, live video, your things, live audit, like every different way you could package yourself. But I think the social media era, what as social media evolved, the move from site meter and like you can dig in and find out how that post did to followers and likes out in front. I wonder if that's not one of the biggest bars now is like, yeah, you've got to show you can do this. And can mm-hmm. you make people give a shit? Because if not, there's 50 other people who may not write as well as you, but for whatever reason, they managed to get people following their, you know, that, 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 that feels like something that we didn't necessarily have to prove our audience number out front the same way a kid does today. It's really, well, well, I mean, that's a good point, Eddie, what you talked about with, um, you know, going to yard Barker talking about the quality versus the quantity, right. The, the clickbait, um, looking at it in retrospect, you know, what, what is your thoughts both from a business, like put the creative and the artistic and the cultural part of it aside for the, you know, the quality pieces that were being, pumped out but as a guy on the business side um yeah i mean i think clickbait is always the big debate right it's the yeah (laughs) what's your thought on the the quality versus quantity because to an extent like it's almost like you don't have to prove your um your merit in terms of a writer or as a creative as much as what kyle just alluded to how much traffic you can drive well i think it's part of it is traffic and click like clickbait's always going to be a thing but to me knowing your audience is the most imperative thing that you must form well let me let me rephrase like i think understanding so i the first thing that i actually thought about i hate to say it was bar was barstool and i say that because the one thing barstool does is they know their audience and like you could say i i i don't care for barstool in any way shape or form but they know their audience as good as anybody and i think the thing that i struggled with the one of the things i actually regret with the sports fan journal is that i think we we were way too generalists um as a media creator so to speak um but my intentions for building the sports fan journal was not really for the as funny as it's called the sports fan journal like it was a journal for sports fans so we wanted to give a platform to um rising voices rising talents millennial voices uh voices of color uh things like that and so you know, the platform within itself like worked because 
you didn't necessarily come there for a particular subject matter. You came there for the voices that you knew you wanted to follow next, right? But, you know, I mean, Kyle brought up like the USC thing about like writing about USC. Like there's probably 20 USC like related blog. And that's probably too low of a number if I'm being frank. Um, you know, you can find USC content days on end. Um, and, and I, I, I think that it has to start going like people are starting to even like, oh, okay, I can cover USC football. Okay. Oh, I can cover USC recruiting or I can cover the kicks that USC players wear now, or I can go into USC like alumni, or I can do deep dive into like all 22 analysis. Like it's becoming niche on niche on niche on niche. And I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. Um, I wonder if there's a better people, if people would take, think two or three steps ahead and really think about like, what, what is their, what is their integrity? I don't want to, I don't want to get into like integrity or like credibility or any of those things. But, you know, I think about, one of the sites and I'm not going to say this person's name or anything, but like, I just think about one of those pe- those blogs that like we were like compared to for re- bad reasons, but like they were the king of click- clickbait. And that for many years brought that blog a lot of money. It gave them some, gave them some notoriety. It gave them some access. Um, but it was also reflective of like, hey, I'm willing to do all of these things to get this story out to do this clickbait. And then, you know, you go down the line and then you see like this person's dirty laundry start to come out. You start to see like, you know, crappy things that start to come out about how they treat their 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 workers and employees. And, you know, these, they're, these, you know, you even see them with like, I'm not calling SB Nation out per se, but like SB Nation had to deal with that with like paying their writers and paying their bloggers. And you started to see these things about gig workers and gig economy and stuff like that. Like at some point, I'm glad I, I'm glad I sold the journal because what I, what was happening and what was transitioning is not what I was in it for. And there, you know, a lot of people start businesses and start opportunities so that they can get out of it at someday. Like that is the part of doing business is that you have the ability to, sell transition and to move on into something else and so you know to to for the kids now i think they just have to get started like i'm sorry like I, not all y'all can come work with me at espn right now it's not happening like some of y'all ain't ready some of y'all are and some of y'all are talented ready i will vouch for you and you're still not going to get in because it's espn it's fox it's bleacher like highly competitive and so I feel for him in that way because just getting in the door can can seem like the most daunting task ever. You know, I, there's a lot of different conversations to be had between the gig worker, what we saw cause and effect with the legislation in California and, and you know, the unintended consequences of that. Um, talking about getting a foot in the door and doing it for passion and letting your voice be heard and building a portfolio. And do you pay intern writers? Do you not pay intern writers? Things like that. I think that's a whole separate conversation to be had, but I want to pivot a little bit for you talking about generalization and niche um, and also voices of color. 
what do we need to be drinking? What bottle are we popping off? Tell us about the, uh, the brown lick, the brown liquor collective. Come on. Uh, it's you got your hands I, in a lot of different pots, man. So, so when I sold the journal and I said, you know what, like I didn't work this hard to like, not cause I was, you know, I was still doing a little bit with the journal. Like I kind of backed off and I uh, was at the, uh, I was, then I was, I got my opportunity to work on the NBA. It was like my dream scenario. And I'm like, it's time. Let's put it aside. So, um, but I realized quickly, like, I'm still going to want to want to pour myself, uh, pour, um, and to pour myself into something else. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I started, um, I, when I was in Oakland, I started having a couple of my fraternity brothers over and we were just, you know, we started like just messing around with scotch and stuff like that. And that turned into, you know, let's go have some flight. Let's do some flights. Let's do some tastings at the house. And then one day we had like 30 people at the house. Just, you know, we did a whole uh, tour of Balvenie. And that was a good night. And we did a whole tour of Balvenie, um, Scotch. And then we was taking it to other people's houses. And then we had like 75 people show up. And then they were like, oh, man, you got to put this, put, put this Facebook group together. And once again, I found an audience of people that either were sorely craving someone to open up the space or they didn't even know that's what they wanted. And so, you know, Brown Liquor Collective is, again, like you'll notice the theme here. It's really um, focused on um, building community with, you know, sippers of color and and, uh, millennials of color um, and really like bridging brands to bridging the, the relationship between the brands themselves and to communities like ours. And I think and so the, the first answer to your question is, um, I just got this second edition bottle of, it's called the Rum Cooperative. So they, oh my God. So they take five different rum blends from different parts of the world. So I believe this one has like a 35% blend from Martinique, a 12% blend from uh, Puerto Rico, uh, f- uh, 5% from the Dominican Republic. I think they do like 2% from Boston because the tie, they have ties to like uh, Boston. <laughs> And um, that thing is like nectar, but like nectar, like if, if nectar that was like squeezed from like, uh, you know, tree sap and honey and Hennessy pure white, like, I don't know, like, I don't really have the greatest way of describing it, but it was, it was uh, really smooth. Um, one of the things that you know, the color is actually really interesting. I'm about to go full nerd here, but the color, like, is this, like, really soft amber color. And, you know, typically when you get a lighter color in, in the spirit, you know, it's probably going to be lighter bodied and not that not as strong. And, you know, it was ext- it was very potent, um, minimal burn, great aftertaste. Like, the, the, the smell evoked a lot of, um, like, light vanilla, cinnamon, um, they need to be paying me for this. I mean, I know they gave me a free bottle, but um, I need to get a few more bottles for sure. Yeah, fr- frankly, all that stuff about community building and uh, yeah, yeah that, that was all nice, but this this is what I really cared about. Yes, <laughs> yeah, get that, get the rum cooperative. By, I think it's by Bully Boy Distilling. Uh, uh, it's, I would highly recommend, hundred percent. Excellent. Well, yeah, I mean, it took an hour, but that's really why I was having you on. You know, I just totally, wanted to get totally, that out of you. Totally understand. Thirty nine ninety nine, Bully Boy. 
Uh, Distillers, the Rum Cooperative, their second edition is out now. Uh, there is no promo code for this, just other than holla at your boy and tell him I sent you, and maybe they'll send me another bottle. We'll see how it goes. There you go. Well, Eddie Moisonette, thank you so much for uh, for joining us, sharing some wisdom. Nah, uh, man, nah, wait, nah, nah, we're not doing that. No, I'm taking over. Shout yeah. out to Don, shout out to Don and shout out to Kyle because, um, you know, one of the things that I think is really important. And y'all should cut this and put it at the front because, like, this should be advertising. Is that, you know, you guys did an excellent job of um, having a full view of like the blogger space and the digital media space at a time where, even though we were having, we had more access to more people and more institutions and more creatives, like, you guys, uh, you know dug a lot deeper and really and found really cool ways to connect to connect folks and so i'm always going to be really appreciative of what you guys did um and allowing me to uh just be a part and the fact that you guys even asked me to like speak on various occasions is like shocker to me so like thank you for that for sure um and yeah like you know uh, if i had a you know it is 10 in the morning here in la like I may or may not have had a drink at 10 a.m. once or twice in my life, but uh, we can do it virtually. Like a cheers to you guys. Like you guys are awesome and, and keep doing what you're doing. I support 100%. Awesome, man. No, seriously. I mean, when we hear that, it, it really is amazing. And we are going to cut that up. Believe me. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I try to be mindful of people's time. So I don't mean to rush off, but, but one thing we always ask is, is like some of you, some of the best memories uh, that you might have from it. Was there any moment that really stuck out to you? So the only one I remember, I don't know if that was the one we were in Chicago and I think you did it at this interesting space. I think it was a meat market. Well, I don't know. It was like a, a yeah. deli meat shop or something. And then there was like a random stage behind it. And it was like a lot of beer available and me and Spencer Hall were just sitting there uh, shout out to Spencer Hall. We were just talking and like about the meat selection. And like, I think we were both getting ready to speak. And I was like, yeah, you know, they have some, you know, pork butt, and, you know, pork shoulder. There's a lot of options in here. It's pretty impressive. And then, oh, by the way, there's, uh, you know, uh, Lang Whitaker over there and Christina Carl talking about, you know, inclusion in editorial spaces or something. I don't know. But it was just like pretty wild. Um, so that was one. Uh, the other one was, I think, probably the one everybody goes. I think is when um, the big lead. There's like the 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 big like back and forth argument yeah. debate, <laughs> and it was with uh, the big lead, and uh, I don't know who else it was with. It was Spencer, uh, and then Spencer, and, yeah, Spencer, and then right. and then Brian Cook uh, from yeah. MGo Blog jumped in there and M-Go, threw some yes, our, our threw, threw some uh, yeah threw some fuel on the fire. Yeah, and so like I do remember that, and, and I think that's. You know what? That's actually pretty important that it happened because I do think that people don't realize like the virtual landscape that people were fighting for. And and people were, if you could get somebody to invest in you at that time, and the I think a lot of people felt like we talked about clickbait, but because people were still trying to figure out how to manipulate the internet, how to man- how to take advantage of audience and understand. One of the things I tell students all the time is you'll make a lot of money if you can understand the attitudes and the behaviors of the audience you are trying to capture, right? And, you know, say what you want about how certain folks are doing it back then, like their numbers were massive. And 
for a lot of brands and a lot of investors, they're like, why would I do all this hard work to try to get this big audience when I could just pay for it? Yeah. Like that's, that's really like, the, and you worked on the media it. side, so you know how it goes. If you know yeah. it was hard, like if I can go one place and I can get the eyeballs that I'm going to need to roll up from ten smaller, more respected. Like it was, there was a. It, it's funny now to look back on it because it's like, oh yeah, those were the days where we were holding on to the idea the internet could be principled in making content. Now that now the floodgates are just so now you're mm-hmm. fighting like you know a, a, well, what feels like a losing battle at times. But well, uh, but but to that point, and again, I, I want to be mindful of y'all's time, but. The thing that I actually took away from that is that digital media, like anything else, really is tech operating in front of us on a daily basis. And I and it's never been more apparent to me because really that is also when like Bleacher Report was starting to rise. And like, let's be clear, like Bleacher Report to me will always be a tech company that does media really well because Bleacher Report's industry was built on we can dominate SEO better than anybody else and we can profitize off of it in a way that nobody else can. And similarly, I think they have also figured out we can manipulate and drive and manipulate. I don't, I don't like, maybe I don't want to use that word, but like they know how to get the most out of social media, I think more than any other major media uh, company. And so those things that we were facing as bloggers and digital creators, if you could get hip to taking advantage of tech code and behavior in that way, like you could get some real wins. And, you know, I think that that definitely was frustrating for some people in the game because some people just don't want to have to worry about that stuff. And that's, and that's okay too. Like there's, that doesn't mean that there isn't a place for you. It just means that, there might not be big bucks in it for you in that way. And that was hard for some people to deal with. Are we allowed to go now? <laughs> My bad. My no, it's all good. No, man. Uh, I love it. Uh, Kyle, what's up, man? No, no. Hey, that was all. Uh, this is great. As, as always, another where I can just keep going and going here. Yeah, yeah uh, I like that. So Spencer actually did address that situation. He went a totally different direction than I expected it to take it. But now that I think about it, it's a very Spencer way to take it. So I'm going to send you that clip <laughs> from when he was on the other day. Uh, but that was awesome. So everybody check out the Brown Liquor Collective. Uh, thank you to Professor Mycinette for dropping some knowledge on us, man. Thank you for your friendship. Thanks for always coming out and supporting and the kind words that you gave us. Kyle, let's wrap it up. We'll do another one next week. Yep, soon enough. All right. Good he mentioned, uh, I think he mentioned Talk Hoops. Zach Harper's on board, so maybe we'll get Zach next week. We'll see. All right. <laughs> All right. Until next week, Tom Pobia. That's Kyle Bunch. This is the OGs. Peace.